Hi, this is Steve Thomas, pastor of the First Baptist Church at Delray Beach. Welcome to our podcast. We study God's Word to apply it to our lives in order to make a difference in this life and in eternity. We hope you enjoy this message. We cry out, we cry out. Good to be with you. Well, we're finishing our series today called Recover, Becoming Who You Were Made to Be. Becoming who you're made to be. And what we've tried to do is help people understand how to, how to live the basics of following Jesus. What does that look like? And really the last part of that is how do I share about my faith? You know, during the pandemic, everyone had a plan for dealing with a pandemic, right? Everyone said, well, my plan is I'm just not going to see anybody for three or four years, right? That's some people's plan. Or I'm not going to see anybody until I can get a vaccination. Or I'm just going to get sick, and when I do, I'm going to just deal with it. Or maybe I'm going to have some therapeutics all stocked up on a strategy. But everybody had a plan, right? And a lot of times people would talk about that plan. They were happy to tell you about their plan um, because they were, they were really honestly cared about you, that you would have something to be able to deal with this horrible pandemic. But you know what? Jesus has provided something so much better than a cure for the pandemic. He didn't just provide a cure for an illness. He provided a cure for death itself. And when you think about what it means that Jesus died for you, that he paid the price for the sin that separates us from him, it's an incredible thing that he's given us. And we ought to really be able to figure out how are we going to tell people about that? How do we share that with people? You know, when I was a kid, I hated to sell stuff. And sometimes it feels like when we're sharing about Jesus, we're trying to sell something. And I hated it when you go to baseball practice and they would hand you 10 raffle tickets and say, go sell these raffle tickets so we can have new hats or something, right? And so they want you to go knock on the door. Here, would you give me something for this worthless piece of paper? Just because I live down the street and I haven't ever been bad to you. You know, I just, I hated that idea. I hated the idea of rejection. It just really bothered me. I thought, I don't like to sell. But you know what? I actually, later in life, made a living for 14 years selling. It's interesting how God can change us and use us in ways that we didn't anticipate. I was so rejection-averse that when I began to court or date and think about how I would one day get a wife, I was terrified of having to ever ask a woman to marry me. I thought, how in the world are you going to take that kind of risk or rejection? And I had a theory, even as like a, I don't know, 12, 13, 14 year old, I thought, I'm just going to be super nice to her and she's going to love me so much, she's going to ask me. It's going to be... It's going to be great. That's how it's going to work. And so, but you know what? I've been married 36 years. And I asked her to marry me. You know what I'm saying? I went for it one time in Houston, Texas, on one knee with a ring, not sure what she was going to say. But you know, sometimes we make things bigger than they are and more difficult than they are. And when we think about the people that we love, you know, the greatest commandments are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And that means the people around you to want 
for them what you have. And when I think about people who don't know Jesus, who aren't followers of Jesus, I just want them to have what I have. And let me just say this. If anyone has ever annoyed you talking to you about Jesus, don't raise your hand, but you know what it feels like, right? I think it's Jim Gaffigan who says, you know, when people come up to him and say, hey, I want to talk to you about Jesus, and he says, I'd like for you not to. Sometimes people are annoying about it, right? They just kind of like go on and on and on, and you're just like, would you talk to me like a regular person? You know, Jesus isn't trying to recruit a bunch of high-pressure, timeshare, condominium salespeople. That's not what he's trying to do. That's not what you're called to. Jesus has a much better plan. He has a much more pleasant and a much more dependent plan. Telling people about your relationship with Jesus is something that should come naturally to you. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through 22, and the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20, as we think about, okay, if I've received this incredible gift, how do I talk about it, and what does that look like? Matthew chapter 4, beginning in verse 18, the word of the Lord says this, while walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them, and immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. It's kind of a crazy story. Now, in the context of this is these men had already heard Jesus preaching and teaching, so they were familiar with him. It's not like he just walked up to them as a total stranger on the beach and said, hey, follow me. They, they knew about his ministry. Peter had already, matter of fact, experienced a great deal of Jesus' ministry. But he's walking along to them, and he sees them, and he says, follow me, follow me. Now, to us, when we say follow me, it usually means follow me to the restaurant, follow me to my house. Just, just I'm going to show you how to get to where you're trying to go. But in biblical context, in Matthew especially, when the phrase follow me is used, it means come and be a learner. Come and be a student. Come and be an apprentice. And normally, the student would ask the master teacher, they would go, Jesus, can I follow you? Can I follow you? Can I be a student? It's like a kind of an admissions process in a college. Can I be a part of your gang of people that are trying to learn from you, trying to be your apprentice? You didn't just get to, you didn't just get to follow them if you wanted to. You had to ask. And, but Jesus inverts that, and I love that about Jesus. Because if you follow him, it's because he invited you. Let me just tell you today, if you're following Jesus, it's not because you are brilliant or one day dreamed of an idea, I'm going to follow. It's because he invited you and he drew you. And if you're considering Jesus this morning, the only reason you're considering him is because he's drawing you right now. It's such an encouraging thing that God is at work, even in this room right now.
So to follow someone is to be a learner, an apprentice. And in those days, you would actually literally go live with them, basically, and roam around with them and be with them wherever they were and learn from them. But he says to them, I'll make you fishers of men. It's a you a fisher of men. Is that, is that back in, John? Um, follow me and I will make you. What did, they, what did he mean by that? What did they hear? Well, they're fishermen, right? And so their job was to gather fish into nets. And important side note, they were not spear fishermen, right? Because that would be rough. Come follow me and I'll make you spear fishermen of men. And you're going to be like, wow, you're going to go stab people. Uh, don't ever take, you don't want to take biblical uh, metaphors too far. But he said, you're used to gathering fish. Now you're going to gather men. And you know, I don't think they worried about how they were going to do that. Because they were going to follow Jesus to learn how. They learn how to follow, they learn how to catch fish by apprenticing under other fishermen. And by walking and and working with other fishermen. That's how they learned to catch fish. And so they knew when Jesus said, come follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. They knew that as a result of following him, they would naturally learn how to catch or gather men and women. You see, followers of Jesus become gatherers of men and women. It is a natural result of following Jesus. It is a normal and natural thing. You don't have to sit here and worry about, oh my goodness, how am I going to do that? You just have to follow him. And he will make you a fisher of men. So they follow him for three years. They hang out with him. You know the stories, all the miracles, all the confrontations, all the dealing with the religious leaders, all of the amazing things that he did, all the teaching. And then we come to Matthew 28, and he's about to set them loose. Jesus has been crucified. He's been buried. He has risen from the dead. And he shares with them these final words in Matthew 28, 18. And Jesus said to them, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This first verse, verse 18, that says, All authority has been given unto me in heaven and earth, We used to kind of skip that one. If you learn this verse, it's called the Great Commission back in Bible school or Sunday school. A lot of times they skip that, but it's so important. Here's Jesus, the only one to ever rise from the dead. And he says, all authority is given to me. In other words, I have all authority. I can do whatever I want. I can force people to do whatever I want. I can take over by force. And that's what you feel like is coming if you're there probably, the disciples are probably listening to Jesus thinking, all authority, okay, here we go, we're taking over, we got someone who rose from the dead, this is going to be incredible. So they're like building up for this, this show of force, I've got all this power, here it comes. But that's not what he does. He's about to set up a combination of divine authority and human faithfulness to connect people to himself. He's about to limit himself to people like you and me. When he could force people to do whatever he wanted, he's going to limit himself to people like you and me. 
It's an incredible thing. He's about to take over, but instead he says, go there and make disciples. I would have expected him to say, go there and take over the world. Here's a sword. Here's an army. Go. You got my authority. But what does he say? Go and make disciples. And this great commission has really four verbal ideas in it. And it takes a little bit of linguistics to completely understand. Because we need to understand what the thrust of this is, right? What's the main idea? Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing and teaching. Well, what's the main thing? What, am I, what do I need to really focus on? Because sometimes we look at Scripture and go, well, I, I really like to teach, so that's all I'm going to do. That's what it's about. But it's clear the way this is structured is that there is one main verb here, and it's to make disciples. It's an imperative. It's a command. It's your job is to make disciples. You go, well, that, I don't know what that is. What does that mean? Very simply, it means to do for others what Jesus had already done for them. To want for others what Jesus has already done in your life. To help people connect with Jesus. To help them become followers of Jesus. He says, make disciples of all nations. Which is a really interesting thing because remember, Israel thought they were the nation. We are the people. We are God's special people. And we're the ones that matter most. And Jesus says, no, you're going to make disciples of all nations. He's been preparing them for this. Everyone is eligible. So how do we do that? Well, the first way, or the first part of this, it says, going make disciples, or go and make disciples. And so there is a sense that we need to be in motion. Most of you don't live in this building. Matter of fact, none of you do. All of you had to travel to get here some distance. Most of you will go somewhere tomorrow. Some of you will travel in the next month to another state or even another country. Sometimes we find ourselves in places that we didn't even want to be, right? I mean, a lot, a lot of us really like to go to the doctor, amen? You know, or go to the DMV. Uh, we don't maybe like to take, maybe you have to take a business trip this week that you're going to go to another state, and you didn't really plan on going there. When we think of this idea of going, we have to understand that the first way the disciples would have seen this is, they're going to go in their normal sense of where they are in their lives. Because the disciples lived in Jerusalem, and they didn't go anywhere until they had to, really, because there was this persecution that happened, and they had to run for their lives. And so as a result, they spread the good news throughout the known world. So in one sense, going is your normal where you have to go. Shopping, work, travel, um, those kinds of things. In one sense, that's how it is. It's you need to be, wherever you are, be ready to make a disciple. Be aware of people around you. And that's great. But also, later we see that there's a man named the Apostle Paul, and he goes, what? He goes intentionally. He feels called to people that he doesn't know, that aren't like him, that aren't in his normal realm, and he feels like, I need to go to other places. I need to go share the good news of Jesus to places that, I, they're not like me at all. And so I need to go with intention. God, where do you want me to go? Who are the people who aren't like me you want me to reach? See, we tend to reach the people 
that are like us. But Jesus calls us to reach all kinds of people. It's not just the people who are like us. Uh, going means to go intentionally for the purpose of making disciples. So we make disciples, we're going. Well, how do we do it? What's our process? Well, first of all, he says, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You say, what does that mean? What is, this, what is baptism? Baptism is simply this conversion process. Jesus said, you must be born again. Paul said, anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things become new. There's a point. There's a decision. There's an invitation that's open to those who Jesus is drawing to himself where he says, I want you to be my child. I want you to receive the forgiveness that I paid for on the cross. I, I want you to be made innocent. I want my spirit to come live inside of you, and, and you have to say yes to that. He will not force himself on you. You must say, Jesus, I, I repent of my sin. I know I'm a sinner. I can't be good on my own. I want you to forgive me. I want you to save me. I want you to make me right with you. And I want your spirit to come live inside of me. And when we baptize someone physically, as we put them underneath the water and we lift them back out of the water as a symbol of cleansing, as a symbol of washing away their sin, as a symbol of the old person dying and the new person coming to life. And Jesus is saying, I want you all to get to do that. I have all authority, but I actually want to use you to do that. I want you to get to be involved in that process. It's pretty incredible that he would do that. So first it's baptism, and that's really a one-time thing, but then he says, teaching them to observe whatever I've commanded you. It's so important. We don't just get saved and baptized. We continue to grow and to learn. And that is a lifelong process. That's why as a church, that's what we do. We share the gospel every week, every time we meet. We want people to know, how do I get saved? How do I get baptized? But we also teach the word. We proclaim it in Sunday mornings and through life groups so that people can know and continue to grow to be a disciple. Because you're going to learn your entire life. Some of our oldest senior adults can tell you they're still learning things well into their 90s as they follow Jesus Christ. And it's a beautiful, wonderful, awesome experience. But making disciples is just that. It's baptism, going, making disciples, baptizing, and teaching everything that God has told them. Now, I think he says something really interesting at the end of that verse. He says, Behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. He's saying, I didn't send you out there by yourself. I'm going to come with you. You don't go out on a project just to go sell my, my, my gift of salvation. I'm coming along with you. I'm bringing my authority and my power with you wherever you go. I love Tim Keller's description of this. He says, you know, we are like a light switch that allows the power to flow to the light bulb. We're not the power. We are the conduit. We're the carrier. We open up that switch and we allow that power to flow through it. But it's Jesus who actually does the work. It's him who actually shares who he is. You don't have to stand at the door selling raffle tickets. 
you're allowing Jesus to work through you as you talk to people. And let me say this. If you feel like you're alone in this process, you're probably doing it wrong, right? Because he said, I'll be with you. I'll bring my power. I'll bring my authority. And I want to share with you a few things that we sometimes do wrong when we try to help people know Jesus. And if this offends you, I'm really excited. I'm happy. Um, but some of you have probably had this done to you, and you're like, yeah, tell them to stop doing that. Um, but I just want to share with you just a few things that you shouldn't do. If you want people to know and follow Jesus, number one, do not get into a debate. Debates are great in the courtroom. They're great in the classroom. They're even a lot of fun for married couples. Amen, couples who were at the marriage retreat? No, not really, but you see... No one gets saved because you convince them they're wrong. They're just going to come up with more evidence to refute whatever it is you're going to say. It is a good idea to know your apologetics, to, to know the right answers, but you're never going to debate someone into loving Jesus. It just doesn't work. That's not how Jesus did it as well. Second, don't feel it's all on you. Remember, Jesus is with you. Trust him to do what only he can do. Number three, please don't think of this like multi-level marketing. You're not signing someone up to build your kingdom. You want to build God's kingdom. Number four, for those of you who've been in church a long time, this, you may question this, but try to avoid using a canned speech. You know what I mean? I learned this, and I'm going to spew it out, and if all i got to do is spew it out, and it's going to be great. People recognize that so fast these days, and it comes off as not very authentic. It's great if you've learned a process like Evangelism Explosion, CWT, the faith, all that is great, as long as you make it your own. Don't just spew out someone else's words. You have your own story. Five. Don't feel pressured to close the deal. Some people think, I shared my faith, but I, I didn't get a decision, so I didn't. I, no, listen, your job is to move the ball down the field, not to score a touchdown every play. It's not your job to bring someone in to, to close the deal. That's what sellers do. Six, don't try to be perfect. Everyone knows you're not. And it's okay. We're not telling people, hey, follow Jesus because he made me perfect. We're, follow, we're saying, follow Jesus because he saved me, someone like me. Don't try to be perfect. And seven, don't get desperate. You don't need a sense of desperation. You just need a sense of caring. Now, here's some things you can do that I think are helpful. Um, first of all, start by genuinely caring about the person. I genuinely want you to have what I have. And if you're not interested, that's fine. I, I'm not, I just generally want you to have what I have. Second, practice and be able to tell your Jesus story. You say, well, my story's not really very good. You know, I wasn't in drug rehab. I wasn't in prison. I hadn't murdered anybody. So, you know, no, listen, your story is the best story because of what Jesus did to you. 
all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every one of us. And the fact that the God of the universe loved me enough to save me is a great story and that people need to hear and understand. Know your story. It's the best tool you have to offer. And know the basics of the redemption of Jesus Christ. Know the fundamentals that Jesus Christ died for our sin. He pursues those, he pursues people to follow him. He invites them to follow him. He provides that forgiveness for sin for those who will repent and trust him. There's an app called the uh, Life Conversations, otherwise known as the Three Circles. It's a really good way to describe this. Uh, but just know the fundamentals. Number four, just seek to move the person closer to a decision. Just seek to take steps forward. When I talk to people, often it takes a long time, especially for adults. It takes a long time, and it may take months. Just seek to help them. As long as they're moving forward, I'm happy. Are you moving forward? Do you understand? And, and take your time. I know that Jesus could come tomorrow. They could die tomorrow. Your job is to do the role that you have the opportunity to do. Um, number five, have a sense of urgency, but not a sense of desperation. There should be a sense of, listen, I, I love you. I don't, this is not just something you can wait forever on. Uh, number six, be real. Be real. Be yourself. Don't try to be somebody else. Uh, don't try to fake like you're Billy Graham. None of us are. I can do a pretty good imitation. And seven, be ready. Just be ready. Wake up in the morning, God, I, I'd love an opportunity with someone or maybe someone that you really are close to. Maybe it's a, a spouse or a child or a family member. I, I really want them to know. God, would you give me an opportunity to help move the ball down the field with them? Now, there's about three things I want to share with you that people are objections and that are not that hard to get around but tend to stop us in our tracks. One of my favorites is, I had this happen just the other day. I was talking to a man, and he said, yeah, but, you know, all religions, they're just trying to do the same thing. They're kind of, the one, they're different paths to the same place. And I could have argued with him for a long time over that, but instead, when someone says that, I just like to say this, well, was Jesus telling the truth when he said that he was the only way? I said, that's just what you have to wrestle with. He said, I'm the only way. Was Jesus a liar or not? And I just left it there. It's a great way for people to wrestle with this. Well, I don't know, because you really can't, if Jesus wasn't a liar, I really was a good man. Well, he said he's the only way. Was he telling the truth? The second thing people say a lot is, well, you know what? I feel like I'm pretty good. I'm not perfect, but I'm pretty good, and I'm better than a lot of people I live next to, so I'm probably going to make it to heaven because I'm a good person. I like to respond to that. You know, Jesus says there, no one is good, only God. Again, was Jesus telling the truth? How do you wrestle that with that? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And then the last objection that I get a lot um, is that they say, you know what, I'll come to him, but I've got to clean up some things first. 
I, I don't want to come yet because, you know, I got some stuff going on in my life and I got some relationship stuff I got to fix and I, I got all kinds of, maybe I got some addiction stuff going on and, you know, I, I, I can't really come now because I got to get my life together. You know, I love that Jesus said, I came to heal those who are sick, not those who are well. It says in Romans that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't say, hey, get your act together and come see me. Very simple responses to objections that people have. See, followers of Jesus become gatherers of men and women. It's a natural and normal part of following him. But for many people, this isn't happening. I want to ask you, if you're a follower of Jesus and you're just not able to share, just let me ask you, how satisfied are you with Jesus? Is he really that great? Are you living in the reality that he loves you? That he died to forgive you? That you don't have to earn his favor. Is that where you're living? Are you living in in his grace, in his love? Do you feel like his arms are wrapped around you? Or are you dissatisfied with him? It's impossible to represent Jesus well if you're not yourself satisfied with him. See, I think most people who are followers of Jesus really want others to follow him. They really do. But sometimes there's just a block there because they've got some issues with Jesus themselves. Let me just ask you, does he love you? Is he present in your life? Do you feel forgiven? You may say, well, Steve, I just haven't been living too good lately. And I listen, it doesn't matter. He doesn't ever leave you. You may have taken off that set of clothing. You may have taken off the spirit and put it in the back of your closet. You know, you may have kind of pushed him aside, but he hasn't left you. He said, just be filled with me. Paul said, put on the spirit. Put on that new person. I want to encourage you today. Wouldn't you like to be involved in someone's eternal destination changing? If that's you, If that's you, would you put on that Holy Spirit? Would you say to Jesus, thank you for all that you've done for me. You've given me an incredible purpose. You've given me an incredible peace. You've given me your presence, and you've given me this incredible future in heaven. And as you do that, ask the question, who else needs to know that? And how can you be a blessing to someone to move them closer to connecting with Jesus. Would you bow with me? Thanks for joining us today. If you'd like to support this ministry, go to our website at fbcdelray.com. Also, click the share button so you can share this message with a friend or someone in need as we seek to know Jesus, to know others, and to make him known. We cry out, we cry out.